Welcome to the Vine Church TC Community Podcast. This is Jamie Jones, your host, and I am so excited to share with you conversations with people right here in our very own community. I hope this brings us all closer together and reaffirms to each listener that you belong. You guys, I am so excited to share with you this conversation that I had with Mark Brault. He is the CEO of Grace Clinic, and Grace Clinic is a local nonprofit that is providing free healthcare in our community. There is an incredibly huge number of people who do not have health insurance in our community, and it has that number has gotten bigger with the pandemic. And so, wow. I mean, the work that Grace Clinic is doing is so needed. It's so incredible. And it is 100% supported by our community, by the Tri-Cities. So in this conversation, Mark talks about the history of Grace Clinic and the ways that it is serving our community. He shares some stories of people's lives that have been impacted. And towards the end of the conversation, he shares about how we can be supportive, something every single person can do that doesn't cost anything, but that makes a big difference. And also some really practical ways that we can partner with Grace Clinic, as well as how to utilize their services. So here is my conversation with Mark Brault. Hi, Jamie. I'm Mark. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. All right. Well, I have a whole list of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you saying yes to this podcast. And this is my first nonprofit interview. So oh. I'm thrilled that it gets to be Grace Clinic because I just, I just love what Grace Clinic does. And I have a little bit of history with Grace Clinic, so we can get into that later. But let's just start with this. Um, this big list of questions that I gave you. So okay. I would love it if you could tell me and, and the listeners a little bit about yourself and what role you play in Grace Clinic. Okay. Uh, so I, the, the role that I have, I, uh, I volunteer as the CEO of Grace Clinic. Uh, I've been involved since about 2006. I joined the board in early 2006. I've been in this role for about eight years. This happens to be something that I do with uh, with my wife. She is the one that originally got me involved. Uh, she is a uh, is a nurse practitioner. She's actually currently our medical director. So I've been doing this for a while. Back when I first got started, in 2006, we were in the basement of what used to be a little Methodist church in downtown Pasco, seeing patients for four hours on Saturdays. And uh, lots changed since then. Yeah. It really has, because that is what I remember. I volunteered back in 2000, oh, I don't know, 2004, maybe? Yeah, the, the clinic got started in, in uh, 2002. Right, yeah, so it's been around for, for a while. <laughs> 18 years. Yeah, so tell me about the, the mission of Grace Clinic. Well, the, our, our mission statement is bringing Christ's love and healing to those in need. 
And, and in reality, our mission is to provide healthcare to uh, low-income uninsured residents of the community, which we define as, as Benton and Franklin counties and Burbank, and, and to do that as a tangible demonstration of God's love to those people who walk in our door. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what is the history then of Grace Clinic? You mentioned when it started. So who started it and just, yeah, where, where, when, why? The, the clinic was, uh, was originally started by a couple of uh, physicians. Uh, two what were then local physicians. Um, uh, one of them has passed away. One of them uh, moved to Portland a number of years ago. But they had been on a medical mission in Central America, and uh, they were back having coffee one evening, talking about their experience, and said, you know, what if we could do something here, uh, kind of like what we did in Honduras? That was in, in December of 2001, and they started working on this idea and, and rallied a group of people around them, and in June of 2002, the clinic opened up. Like I say, in the, in the basement of uh, what was the Little Methodist Church in, in Pasco. Uh, <clears throat> had a couple of makeshift exam rooms. Um, had to set up the clinic and take down the clinic every time it operated because the church used the space for other things. But, um, uh, you know, it was a combination of, of their experience on that medical mission and then saying, you know, what if we could do something here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's certainly a need that that uh, th- there was something they could do here. <laughs> and I remember those, not all those days. I mean, I volunteered. I don't know what the span was, but it was back when it was in the Methodist church on Saturdays. And I remember volunteering and I was a translator, Okay. but I, but I wasn't a very good translator. <laughs> so I kind of had a half translator sticker. And, uh, and anyway, I, I do, I remember that and I volunteered, my husband and I were newly married and we volunteered there cause we lived in Pasco and we actually did work with a lot of the uh, low income families that, that visited Grace Clinic and needed Grace Clinic. So mm-hmm. I've never heard the story of how it started or anything before. So yeah, it was really those two physicians, um, one of them in particular was really the driving force, uh, Cheryl Snyder, who was a was an ER doc. And uh, Cheryl, when the medical school got started in Yakima, she moved to Yakima and uh, became involved in that. And uh, she passed away from uh, cancer a couple of years ago. But the other physician, Carol Endo, was a local pediatrician, and uh, you know the two of them made this happen, and and probably. 12 or 13 years ago, uh, Carol moved to Portland to be closer to family. So they were, you know, they were the driving force to make it happen, but uh, the, the clinic has continued on well beyond their involvement. Well, that's such a cool thing because to be able to start something and then have it continue on when you're not even a part of it anymore, right? that's amazing. And, well, and what it, you want. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a uh, story that I often tell. I, I make a lot of presentations in the community about the clinic. And uh, this is probably 10 years ago. I was uh, 
I was making a presentation to a local Rotary club. And at the end I take questions and, and whatnot. And, and this one guy stood up and he said, you know, I toured the clinic when it was in the basement of the church. He said, and when I left there, I was really impressed with what I'd seen, but I said to myself, it'll never last. He said, I'm, I'm thrilled to stand here and say I was completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what are the core values then of the Grace Clinic? Well, the, the core values are, um, first, we are uh, unashamedly a Christian organization. Okay? We, we do this because we believe it's what God wants us to do in this community. And as I said earlier, we want to um, we want to be a tangible demonstration of God's love to the people that walk in our door, and we do that through providing uh, medical services. But but central to what we're trying to do is we want to provide services that are uh, equal or better to those that those of us that have good access, that have insurance, that have resources would expect for ourselves um, in the community. And, uh, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a real important part of what we do. And especially recognizing that um, it can be difficult for people to ask for help. And so how we deal with that plays a big role in their willingness to ask for help, their comfort, and, and therefore our ability to help meet those needs. And so, you know, we want, we want to do, we want to do it better than, um, uh, than what others might experience. And, and, you know, we, uh, with some regularity, we have patients that we uh, refer to as graduating. They get coverage, and so they're no longer eligible to be patients in the clinic. And most of those people tell us they wish they could keep coming. Mm. And they don't tell us that because we do excellent medical care, although we do excellent medical care. They tell us that because they don't experience the way we care about them in lots of the places that they go to. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's, that's a key part of what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So in what, I guess you've already kind of answered this, but in what ways is, is Grace Clinic serving the Tri-Cities? What are the community needs that are being addressed? Well, and uh, one of the things that's, that's really important to understand is that uh, we have a, a substantial number of people in this community that don't have health insurance. It's less prevalent today, but Seven or eight years ago, when the uh, when the Affordable Care Act was really first fully implemented, there were a lot of people who believed, you know, we've solved that problem, and now everybody has coverage, and and that's just absolutely not the case. Now, uh, as of uh, the beginning of March, uh, there were about thirty-two to thirty-four thousand people in Benton and Franklin counties that didn't have insurance. the The state gave us some information. About uh, about the beginning of June that said that as of the end of May, that number had increased by more than 13,000. So a 40% increase in the number of people without insurance. Now, you know, and, and that is very much related to them having lost jobs and, and with it having lost their coverage. But, but, you know, even uh, staying with where the number was, 
you know, that 32 to 34,000 people is, uh, is a lot of folks. And the vast majority of them work in low wage jobs for employees, employers that don't provide health insurance or, or don't provide it in a fashion that's affordable. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be that, that they have a plan, but the employee portion of the premium is too great for them to be able to participate. And, and consequently, for those folks, were it not for us, really their only option is to go to the ER. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can go to the ER. Uh, there's, a, there's a federal law that requires the ER, if they participate in any uh, federal government medical program, so principally Medicare and Medicaid, um, and that's virtually all hospitals, uh, they're required to see you in the ER. But for routine care, for, for helping somebody manage a chronic disease, that is not a good place to go. And, and it's not a good place, not simply because it is the, uh, it's the most expensive place to get care. But the reality is, and this is especially the case with respect to people who have a chronic disease like diabetes, asthma, hypertension, uh, the, the role of the ER is not to help people with those things. It's to deal with a crisis that's in front of them. Mm-hmm. It's not to help somebody manage a chronic disease. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the, the ER for things that aren't emergencies okay, is not really the best place to get care. Um, and it's especially not the best place for helping somebody manage a chronic disease. And so, you know, that's a lot of what we do is meet those needs uh, that otherwise would end up in the ER. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially, you know, we do it better than the ER does because we're, we're an appropriate setting. We have, a, you know, we have a focus in helping people improve and maintain their health. And that's just, you know, that, that's not a criticism of the ER. It's just not their job. Mm-hmm. Right. And even uh, preventative medical care. Right. Well, I think I read somewhere that it's adults. Do you, do you see uh, primarily adults? Do you also have children or what? So we serve principally a working age population. Now, uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at the population in general, you, know, you have kids, you have, uh, you have what we refer to as a working age population, and then you have, you have older people. Mm-hmm. Kids are eligible to be covered by the state, okay? mm-hmm. uh, and and so there are there are virtually no uninsured kids. You know, it's probably been five years since somebody brought a, a child to us, and and you know it used to happen occasionally, and and we would see them, and then we would get them connected with uh, DSHS, we'd get them enrolled, and and they would have coverage. So so we we don't see kids because. There really isn't a uh, an uninsured population amongst kids. Most people who are 65 and older are eligible for Medicare. Now, we, we do have a relatively small group of older patients who emigrated here late in life and are not eligible for Medicare. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, what that really says is that, especially in this state, because what what Washington does in terms of kids is more significant than happens in in some states. 
but in this state, the uninsured population is primarily working age adults. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so that's where, that's where the demand for our services is. You know, we mm-hmm. certainly see uh, older people who uh, aren't covered by Medicare, but the vast majority of our patients are, you know, working age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. So what are some of the challenges or hurdles that, that Grace Clinic faces? Well, there are, uh, there are a number of them and there, and, and some of those, um, there, there some new ones now, mm-hmm. you know, in the last few months. Okay. But if I kind of divide this in the, the, the pre COVID post COVID yeah, time sure. period, um, mm-hmm. the challenges that we faced before the pandemic are, uh, several, you know, first, we are completely uh, a community supported endeavor. So you know, our volunteers, our funding all comes out of the community. And so we're, we're always looking for volunteers. We're always raising money because that's how the bills get paid. You know, we don't get any, uh, any government support. We're, um, we are completely uh, a community endeavor. So, you know, being able to, uh, recruit the volunteers that we need, being able to raise the money in order to, to continue to meet more and more of the need is, is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there are challenges that we face <clears throat> that are very much related to, to the population that we serve. Okay? Because, of, because of the population that we serve, many of our patients face a number of other challenges which can make uh, which can have an adverse impact on their health care uh, on their health but even their ability to access services mm-hmm. uh, something that's that's gotten a substantial amount of attention in the last uh, about three years is referred to as the social determinants of health and the, the, the social determinants says there are things that impact people's health that are outside of healthcare itself. So where they live, you know, do they live in a, uh, in a safe environment or do they live in a place that is uh, broken down and uh, mold infested? Okay. Do they have adequate ad- access to transportation, to food? Um, so there are all of these things that um, uh, that play a role. Uh, I'll give you one uh, simple illustration here. You know, no different than than any uh, uh, medical practices. We have the same problems that uh, that others do with people who don't show up for an appointment. The big difference, okay, now. Uh, you know, my wife has her own practice, okay, and and she suffers with that same challenge. Okay? Mm-hmm. The the difference is that it's not uncommon that the reason that one of our patients will miss their appointment is because of a transportation issue, mm. is because they don't have a car. Somebody was going to bring them that fell through at the last minute. Okay. So, you know, my, my wife doesn't see those kinds of things in her practice because 
the, the population, the, the vast majority of the patients that she's serving have more resources. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so uh, you know, we run into uh, challenges in being able to do as good a job as we would like that are in these other areas. You know, I, I, I'll give you one other illustration. We had, uh, this is a number of years ago, we had a patient that we were starting on insulin. And uh, we explained to him that uh, he needed to keep the insulin refrigerated. And he said, my refrigerator doesn't work. He said, I can't get the landlord to do anything about it. <clears throat> now, um, you know, there's a, there's something really important to understand there. Mm-hmm. If that was me, I could get the landlord to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But a lot of the people that we serve, they don't have any power. Mm-hmm. They don't have the ability to advocate for themselves the same way that many of us do. Mm-hmm. They say, if it was me, I could get the landlord to fix it. Mm-hmm. That guy couldn't. And uh, we actually had a, a volunteer who, who bought him a dorm-sized refrigerator. Yeah. But there are, there are a number of those kinds of challenges. And, and there's, a, you know, there's an important thing for people to understand. And that is that there are a lot of people in this community that really struggle to get by. And they are, to a great extent, invisible. You know, I, I, I uh, often tell people that uh, they generally don't encounter our patients, except that they happen to be a clerk in a store where they're buying something. Okay? And not so much today because most of the stores aren't open. But the reality is that, that, that we don't encounter those things. We don't understand those stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'll give you another uh, another. A uh, quick example. This is a, a patient my wife was seeing uh, a couple of years ago. He um, he was going to have some surgery. It was a related to a workplace injury, so uh, workman's comp was covering it. And he told her that when he went for his pre-op, that um, they told him that he was going to need somebody to drive him home. Mm-hmm. That you know because of the uh, anesthesia and whatnot, that while it was going to be an outpatient procedure, that he wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to be capable of, of driving himself home. He needed somebody who would do that for him. And he said, I don't have anybody. He said, I don't have any, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family here. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't have anybody. Oh, that's so sad. Now, now I, I, again, if that was me, there are 50 people that I could call. Right. You know, I, um, uh, yeah, he, he told her that, that what he ended up doing is he knew there was a gentleman who lived across the street from him who was clearly retired. He didn't know him, but he went across the street, he knocked on the door, and he introduced himself, said, I live across the street. He said, next week I'm having some outpatient surgery. Would it be possible for you to bring me home? And the guy agreed to do it. But, but you know, imagine not having anybody you could call, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for most of us, there are lots of people that we could call. And so, you know, we don't really understand 
the degree to which a substantial number of people face challenges that are significant, but that most of us don't understand. Mm-hmm. So there's those types of challenges that have always existed. Right. And now with and, the and pandemic, there's, I'm sure there's additional. The, well, and yes, there are. And, and today for us, uh, those challenges fall into a couple of key areas, maybe three uh, areas. Funding continues to be a challenge and the, and the times are uncertain. We actually, um, we were uh, incredibly blessed. We learned a, a couple months ago that um, one source that we have for funding that um, uh, that the funding that we would normally get from them uh, in the third quarter wasn't going to happen. Now, uh, like I say we were incredibly blessed. We had a, a donor who heard about that and stepped up and said, "I'll fill that gap." Mm. But there are, you know, it, it's a there's a fair amount of disruption in uh, in a number of those streams of income you know we mm-hmm. there was an event we were going to do in the spring that we had to cancel okay mm-hmm. that, um, so some of that uh is is somewhat heightened today mm-hmm. we've been extremely fortunate that uh, we've been able to continue to operate um the vast majority of the of the free clinics in the state of washington suspended their operations um only a handful continue to operate you know during this time but we've been able to do that mm-hmm. But we've, as a part of that, we've transitioned some of what we do to telemedicine. Um, that's a challenge for some of our patients. They don't have a reliable internet connection. They don't have a computer that has a camera. Uh, they don't have a smartphone. Where in, in medicine, to a great extent, you know, there was a real significant pivot towards telemedicine, and, and we've certainly done that. Some of it is more challenging mm-hmm. because of uh, the patients we serve. Mm-hmm. The, the, the other thing is that uh, we have not been able to uh, utilize volunteers to the same degree that we used to. Now, and some of that is because a number of our volunteers are older and therefore the risk to them is greater. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've... Uh, you know, we, we still knew, use a number of volunteers. They're primarily uh, healthcare professionals. Um, but we're, mm-hmm. we're not currently using our uh, reception volunteers or our, uh, our food bank volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we've had to figure out how to deal with those things a, a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, that's created some additional challenges. Mm-hmm. You, 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 um, Every day you're figuring out something new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're yeah. not alone in that. I mean, that's right. happening lots of places. But right. uh, uh, but you know, we had a, uh, a a pretty robust team of reception volunteers. You know, we're mm-hmm. we we haven't been using them, and and like mm-hmm. I say, part of that is because most of them are uh, are retired and mm-hmm. are. Uh, uh, 65 to 80 mm-hmm. and uh so in keeping them safe right you know, it's just yeah. not the best idea yeah that makes sense 
So uh, do you have a personal story of how being a part of this mission has impacted your life? Why are you involved with Grace Clinic? You know, I, I, I often tell people the reason I'm involved is because of my wife. Um, I, I, I tell them that, um, you know, she was a volunteer before I was, and that uh, one day she was volunteering at a clinic. She was having a, a conversation with one of the founders who said that uh, they were looking for a CPA to add to their board. And she said, here, take mine. Um, she didn't actually say, here, take mine. But, yeah, that, but yeah. it was that conversation that kind of got me uh, started. The, you know, the, the reason that I do this, um, uh, and, and to a great extent, um, the same thing is true for, uh, for my wife and her involvement, is that we have had in our family, we have had at times some fairly significant medical need. Okay. I, you know, I've had uh, rheumatoid arthritis for close to 40 years. I've had, um, I've had two joints replaced. Uh, one of our sons became diabetic when he was 22 months old. But we've never had an issue in being able to access the services that we needed mm-hmm. because we had insurance and, and we could afford our part of it. You know, the deductibles, the copay, you know, those things, it, it never got in the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, were it not for that, okay, things would have been a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so we have a recognition of, um, uh, of what that need can be. Mm-hmm. And, and have not had to fight that battle personally, but, uh, but that's a, you know, it's a key part of, of the motivation for us that there are a lot of people in this community that just don't have mm-hmm. that same ability to access the system. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's what we think God wants us to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, when I first got involved in the clinic, I, by by training, I'm a CPA, and I brought uh, some of those resources uh, to the table. We believe this is what God wants us to be doing at the present. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, so. Well, it sounds like it's kind of along the same lines of the founders of Grace Clinic, recognizing the need and, and you know, they're able to do something about it somewhere else. And what, what about here? Right. What are the needs right here? in in our own community right here in the Tri-Cities. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for what you're doing. Do you have a story of someone else's life that has been impacted by this work? Well, I have, uh, I have a hundred patient stories. (laughs) I bet you do. But, but, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple, you know, one of the things that we do, um, we, we do a fair amount of uh, chronic disease management. So we have patients who have diabetes, they have high blood pressure, they have asthma that, um, uh, that we help on an ongoing basis. Uh, a number of years ago, we had, a, we had a woman who came to us. She was in her mid-50s. Um, she had recently moved to the Tri-Cities and uh, she had type 2 diabetes. When she came to us, her diabetes was really poorly controlled. 
couple years later, she was doing extraordinarily well. Um, uh, the American Diabetes Association has a standard that that uh, uh, that they use for uh, what they define as good control, and she uh, and she met that standard. And uh, we asked her to speak at an event that we were doing, and uh, we asked her to talk about what got her from where she was you know, when she first came to us to uh, to where she was at. And she said that um, she'd had diabetes for 15 years. She'd been uninsured that entire time period. You know, she had, had uh, only moved to Tri-Cities a couple years prior. And she said, uh, she said there were two things that got her to where she was at. So the first was that we were the first people who had told her that there were things that she needed to do, that she needed to be responsible for, in managing her diabetes. She said, nobody ever told me that before. Now, frankly, I'm not sure that nobody ever told her that. I think it's more likely that she just wasn't hearing it. Okay? Um, because I find it hard to believe that nobody had said that. And, and the second thing she, she told us, I think uh, reinforces my belief that maybe she wasn't hearing it. She said that, that by the second time she'd been in the clinic, she recognized that we cared more about her than she cared about herself. And she said the combination of those two things got her moving in the right direction. Okay. Got to a place where, uh, where she was well-controlled. And she still is today. You know, this mm -hmm. is now a, about uh, 10 years later. Mm -hmm. the, the impact from getting her to a place where her where diabetes is well controlled, the reduction in the risk of blindness, kidney failure, heart disease is huge. Mm -hmm. But her, her story also illustrates a key thing that we try to accomplish with our patients, especially those with chronic disease, which is that we want to partner with them. You know, we have expectations for them. You know, philosophically, we, we say, you know, if the community is going to make these services available to you without cost, you need to do your part. Mm -hmm. okay? And so, you know, we've got a, we've got a number of, of uh, those kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the other one that I'll share with you is, uh, and this is, oh boy, this has got to be 10 or 12 years ago. Um, my wife came home one Saturday afternoon. She'd been volunteering in the clinic and she was telling me about a gentleman that she saw that day. He was in his mid forties and um, he has type two diabetes. And he told her that he was afraid he was losing his eyesight. Now blindness is a complication of poorly controlled diabetes. So he knew he had some risk and imagine the anxiety of believing that you're losing your eyesight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you know, fairly early in her, uh, in her time with him, she took off her reading glasses and handed them to him and said, put these on. And he put them on and, and he could see. Hmm. He, he didn't understand that what he was experiencing was completely normal, has nothing to do with his diabetes, mm -hmm. happens to everybody, you know, a little earlier, a little later, but it, it, it happens to everybody. And when she told me that story, I really struggled with the question, how do you not know? Mm -hmm. Okay. How do you not know? 
Well, it was it was two or three weeks later that the the, the thought that uh, struck me was the way that I probably got that information is uh, we were probably out to dinner with some friends of ours. We have uh, we have uh, actually two couples that uh, long term friends of ours that are eight to ten years older than we are, mm-hmm. and probably when we were in our mid thirties. And so they're in their, you know, early to mid forties. We were out to dinner with them on that and they're taking the menu and they're holding it out at the, you know, at the, the, as far as they can reach trying to read this. And, and, you know, and it occurred to me that there's a lot of information that most of us obtain as a part of our life experience, but many of the people that walk in our door have a much narrower life experience. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that's why this guy probably didn't know. And the, and the real tragedy there was that he's carrying this huge anxiety mm-hmm. about losing his eyesight. And the solution was readily available to him because you can go to the dollar store and buy a pair of reading glasses mm-hmm. for a dollar. You don't have to mm-hmm. spend a lot of money at the optometrists. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's not out of reach. Mm-hmm. He just didn't have that little piece of information. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the other things that we do is a lot of education Mm -hmm. of our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, in in his case, it wasn't a, it wasn't a medical need that we were solving. It was a, it was a piece of information. Mm -hmm. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it improved his eyesight and eliminated the anxiety Yeah. Thank you for sharing all those stories. And I really enjoyed, you know, getting to know more about Grace Clinic and what's happening. So tell me, what are some of the ways that people can support Grace Clinic and what Grace Clinic is doing in the Tri-Cities? Well, the thing that the the thing that I tell groups and and particularly church groups is uh, first and foremost, there's something that everybody can do, which is pray for us. Mm hmm. We absolutely believe that this is God's clinic. We want to, we want to be doing what He wants us to do, and so everybody can pray for us. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, we have an ongoing need for volunteers. Uh, as I said, the way we're using volunteers at the moment is is somewhat different, but uh, that'll change over time. Hopefully, we'll go back to to closer to where we used to be. But there's uh, there's always a need for volunteers, and at the moment, you know, that greatest need is is medical professionals, uh, mm-hmm. medical providers, nurses. Um, so uh, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I do have yeah. a quick question about that. So the need for volunteers primarily right now is for medical professionals, but are there volunteer opportunities that are not medical related? Absolutely. Uh, as I said, at the, right at the moment, we're not using many of those volunteers, but mm-hmm. we have you know, we have reception volunteers and we operate a, a small food bank called a food cupboard. We have volunteers that, uh, that staff that we have, uh, we have volunteers that help us with other administrative tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there are, there are lots of things to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and only some of them require some kind of, of medical credential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you think about what takes place in any uh, relatively large uh, medical practice, there are a whole bunch of people who are not medical professionals who, right. uh, mm-hmm. who play a role in that. So, um, uh, yeah, there are lots of things. And, and so, you know, 
volunteer need is is something that's always there, and and there's always a financial need. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we also uh, on our website uh, we have we have listings of a couple of other things, tangible things that people often donate to us. We have, as I said, we have a little food bank we call the food cupboard. And we have a list of the things that we try and stock in the food cupboard mm-hmm. because we, you know, we have a, um, a clear orientation towards health. So we don't stock sugared cereal and, and those kinds of things. But we have a, we have a list on our website that, uh, of the things that we try and stock in the, in the food cupboard. And we also have a list of supplies, you know, paper, gloves, I mean, all these kinds of things that, mm-hmm. um, uh, that people will donate to us. And, mm-hmm. So really practical things on all levels. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is the first step if somebody wanted to become involved? I know that there's the ways, you know, the prayer support, financial give. What if somebody wanted to volunteer? Now, I know this is a weird time with the pandemic that, and the, that's going to change. But what is right. the first step? The, the, the starting place is to go to our website and uh, you can initiate a, initiate a volunteer application right on our site. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the first step. Once that's done, then we have a, you know, a, a process that we work through. We do a little, uh, a little vetting, and we reach out to, uh, to volunteers. Now, it, it, it used to be, um, and hopefully we'll get back there, that uh, once a month we did kind of a, a volunteer orientation overview. We're not doing that in the same fashion um, that, uh, that we used to, but you know, hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get back there again. But the, the first step is to, is to uh, fill out a volunteer application on the website. Okay. So what is your website? Gracecliniconline.org. Okay. And it's where, kind of a mouthful. <laughs> where are you located physically? We are on Canal Drive. We're just a little bit west of Fruitland. You have lots of information on your website as well about we uh, the nearest bus, the bus route that if somebody needed to utilize public transportation, right? You know, I don't, I, 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 I'm not sure about that. Uh, there, is a, there is a bus route that goes right by us. Yeah, um, it, it says the nearest bus route. But most of your... Uh, most of your appointments are actually appointments. Is that correct? Or is there walk-in? Most of what we do is appointments. Now, you know, again, um, our, our process is now different. We pre COVID, we had people who would, who would walk in and we have a, you know, we have a little screening process that we take people through to make sure that they meet our eligibility criteria, which are, are, you know, they don't have insurance that, they have a household income that's at or below 200% of poverty level and that they live in the community. And we define the community as Benton and Franklin counties and Burbank. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, we would get them scheduled to see somebody. It could be that day, might be the next day. Um, uh, so we do, we, we were doing some walk-in right now. We're doing that new patient screening by phone. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, so, you know, people call and, and we initiate the process that way. Mm-hmm. And then, like you say, we would get them scheduled to be seen. And obviously at this point, it's a lot, lot larger scale than 
four hours on a Saturday morning, but all of the the hours and that information can all be found on your website, it, right? Yeah, and and we're we're basically there five days a week, Tuesday through Saturday, uh, eight to five, Tuesday through Friday, and eight to about one or two on Saturday. Saturday is a little shorter day, um, but um, uh, yeah, we're ways from the four hours on Saturdays. Right. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of years, lots of things happen in between, but absolutely. it's, but that's how it started. And now look, I mean, right? what an amazing thing God has done through that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we had, you know, we had just over 8,000 patient visits last year. Okay? 8,000? 8,000. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, 8,000 times somebody walked in our door and got access to something that they might not have otherwise. Mm-hmm. That is significant. So my final question that I have is one that I've been asking everybody in, um, in this first series that I have done with our podcast. And that is, what is one thing that is bringing you joy right now? You know, um, the, the one thing that, um, uh, that is bringing me joy is with some regularity, I get uh, FaceTime calls from my grandkids. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, and that's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we were unbelievably spoiled in that all of our grandkids live in the area. And until uh, March, for years, we had done something where everybody came to our place for dinner on Monday night. And, and um, uh, so we saw them a lot mm-hmm. and we don't see them as much, but, yeah. uh, but I fairly regularly get uh, FaceTime calls from my grandkids. Oh, and, that's uh, awesome. How many grandkids do you have? We have 11 and three quarters. 11 three, and three quarters. So there's the, the, one that's coming. The, there is one that's coming. Uh, uh, one of our sons and his wife are, are adopting their third child from Taiwan. Um, and hopefully they'll be getting him in August. We, oh, that's we know awesome. who he is. We have pictures and, and video and whatnot, but uh, uh, we're not quite, we don't quite have him yet. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark, for, for being on My the pleasure. podcast. My that pleasure. Was great. Happy to do it. Well, there was a glimpse into an amazing nonprofit organization here in the Tri-Cities that is doing some incredible volunteer work, making a huge impact in people's lives. 8,000 people last year visited and received services through Grace Clinic. That's a lot. And I just loved getting some more information and details about what's happening. So if you are involved in a nonprofit or if you know of a nonprofit, that you would like to share about or know more about, please let me know. I want to incorporate as many of these interviews about local nonprofits into our podcast as possible. So let me know. And thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of these stories that help us connect with each other right here in the Tri-Cities.